Welcome to The Doctrinal Component with Tom Nettles, brought to you by Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is a reformed teaching organization committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. For more teaching material by Dr. Nettles, please visit founders.org. Hello, this is Tom Nettles. Welcome to this edition of The Doctrinal Component, where we will continue our look at Andrew Fuller and his theological development. Now, as serving as pastor at Soham. There are several controversial theological issues in which Fuller became involved as a pastor, and these trained him to think theologically and to deal with biblical issues and the cohesiveness of biblical thought as doctrines were developed from it with a great deal of care and with a great deal of aptitude and eventually developing strong convictions in several areas and prepared him to be the theological revolutionary that he was in a very good sense. One of the issues that he dealt with early in his ministry was the ex- existence or the, the idea of the pre-existence of the human soul of Christ. There were some near his church, ministers with whom he talked and some laymen, who affirmed that Christ's soul was pre-existent, that the soul of Christ had been created particularly uh, in heaven and then was uh, joined with his body uh, at the time of the incarnation. Fuller thought that that was a wrong idea, that it was an unnecessary division of humanity. And so he asked these people who believed in the preexistence of the soul of Christ to consider whether or not they were atheists. They believed that the, there was a necessity for the human soul of Christ to be party to the covenant of redemption, else the whole person of Christ could not have consented to this particular calling of dying for the sins of humanity. So if the preexistence of Christ's human soul was necessary for the covenant of redemption, this means that there was a point at which there was no covenant of redemption because if the human soul of Christ was created and had to be a party to this covenant, therefore there was no plan of redemption before the creation of the human soul of Christ. This means that before the creation of the human soul of Christ, God was without a plan, and it is impossible for a God to be without a plan, and therefore this idea lands you upon the idea that there is no God, and squarely upon atheism. Another issue that he dealt with was the eternal sonship of Christ. The question is whether the character of the only begotten Son of God would ever have belonged to him that is, only begotten Son, if he had not been the son of Mary? Was his sonship only as a result of his incarnation? Joseph Driver tended to believe that the title Son was given only in light of the incarnation, but he advised Fuller to read through the New Testament uh, to find if the title Son of God is used to denote uh, his eternal relation with the Father, or if it is only in relationship to his being born of Mary. Among other scriptures that Fuller found uh, were John 5, 18, 
Galatians 4, 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Hebrews 1, 8, that he interpreted, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, as something uttered by the Father as an expression of the eternal relationship, because it has to do with the Son being party to the decrees of God. Uh, Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, 1 John 3, 8, other passages of Scripture. And he found a consistent witness to the idea that Son of God was nomenclature that was used about Christ in his eternal relationship with the Father. This prepared him for his dispute with the Socinians later when he wrote the Calvinist and Socinian systems compared as to their moral tendency. Another view that he dealt with was by a minister and theologian named John Johnson, who questioned whether or not God could ever decree anything in, that would involve a permission of evil. He said that he could not and did not decree to permit evil without being the author of it. Well, this means that he could not decree that Christ would die for sinners in the way he did, that the eternal covenant of redemption to save sinners could not be a covenant that assumed that or allowed for the reality of the fall, and many other such things as Joseph's statement, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, that it was impossible for us to view this world and view any of the actions of salvation and redemption and God's providence without realizing that it was not sinful in God to decree to permit evil uh, in order to gain glory to himself in his acts of mercy and grace. Also, he ran across a work by Abraham Taylor called The Modern Question, in which the question was asked, is it the duty of sinners to repent of sin and believe in Christ for salvation? Now, this was getting right at the heart, right at the core of the issue of hyper-Calvinism. And as Fuller already was thinking about these issues, Abraham Taylor's book, The Modern Question, really prompted him to think more deeply and more precisely about it and was one of the factors that led him to the eventual theological position that he took. Well, he continued as pastor at Soham for more than seven years. They could hardly pay a livable salary. His family was growing. And then he engaged with the church at Kettering. They asked him to come search, come to, to be pastor of their church. And letters passed between the church there and Fuller from November the 1st to se of 1779 to August the 10th of 1783, almost four years. Fuller couldn't bear the idea of leading, leaving this church at Soham. He felt very connected with them. He felt that he was their person giving care to their souls. He did not want to leave without clear warrant from God that this was the desire, and it was after four years of correspondence, he consented to go to Kettering. Rowland makes this comment, Nevertheless, if all the correspondence which passed on this occasion were published, it would perhaps be tedious to many readers. 
and to some his scruples would appear excessive, even ridiculous. Men who fear not God would risk the welfare of a nation with fewer searchings of heart than cost him to determine whether he should leave a little dissenting church, scarcely containing forty members, besides himself and his wife. But eventually he decided it was God's will, and he moved to Kettering and was settled there October the 7th, 1783. We will take our last look at Fuller's theological development in our next edition of The Doctrinal Component. Thank you for listening to this one.